Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Spooky Soup Podcast. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tessa. So today I have the Reddit stories, but I don't actually have Reddit stories today. Is it a listener submission? Kind of. Yes! <laughs> so a listener sent to us a um, a link to their uh, book of short, scary stories that you can purchase on Amazon. And Dude, we're going to read a couple of them today. That is so cool. Oh, my goodness. We have a listener who's an author. Yes, we do. Um, K.R. Vazana. I'll give you the title of the book and everything. You guys can look it up. It's uh, it's pretty good. I'm going to read two stories from it today, and they're both pretty spooky. That's amazing. I'm thrilled that we have a listener who's an author and has sent us their sc- short, scary stories. Mm-hmm. I wanted to read the whole thing on the podcast, but that'd be no fun for, yeah. for all those who want to read it for themselves. And obviously, so, we want them to have sales. Uh, yeah. Obviously. I actually think it's for... Uh, I think it's free right now on Amazon. Oh, no way. And the book is called Dark Tales for Dark Nights, a collection of spine-chilling stories to disturb the mind. I'm sold already. Yeah. Once again, it's by K.R. Vazana. Um, and yeah, you can download it, add it to your Kindle, and spook yourself. Let's throw a link to that in the show notes. Okay, we'll do. All right, and then afterwards, you have the historical story today. I do. I'm actually so excited about this because it's relevant to something pretty big that happened in the news this month. So it's going to be fun. Sweet. Well, without further ado, I'll go ahead and get started. And before we get started, everyone, make sure to follow us on all of our social media. If you have any stories that you would like us to read, whether it's personal, made up, true, doesn't matter. Send it to SpookySoupPodcast801 at gmail.com. We'll make sure to give you a shout out on our podcast. Indeed. Uh, you can also DM those to us on our Instagram. Um, some people have done it that way as well. Okay, you ready? So ready. This first story is called The Clicky Man. <laughs> Keep that same thought, because yes. So I work in the ED of a big hospital. Needless to say, it's a thankless job that has worn me down over the years. I work in the trauma bay from time to time, and let me just say I've seen some stuff. People with their faces half blown off, entire limbs swelling, and infected to the point of amputation from drugs, and flesh-eating diseases. Dream job, honestly. (laughs) Sounds like it's right up your alley. Hell, I've even seen a guy come in who had been tied to a bed, and a curling and had a curling iron shoved up his butt and turned on because he cheated on his wife. That one still gives me butter gives me butterflies just thinking about it. Literally. <laughs> I have stories for days, months, and years even. Stories that would make you curl inside out, but none of those compare to this one. My most recent patient, whose name I won't disclose, was brought in by police. Apparently, His neighbors had called in to report that they had heard screaming from his house and became worried. He had been known to sell and use drugs and had multiple counts on his record for it. The neighbors thought it might have been a drug deal gone bad. When the cops arrived, they found him on the floor in a huge puddle of blood. Luckily, they had gotten there in time and called an ambulance that transported him to our hospital. Now, I work in a level one trauma center which means that we can get pretty much any kind of patient. 
doesn't matter how bad they are, we had the resources to care for them. So when they brought him in with his arms bandaged up and half alive, it didn't surprise me. I had seen plenty of this. After we finally got him all stitched up and took some samples of blood to run tests for drugs, we gave him some transfusions of new blood and some IV fluids to keep him hydrated. It took about five hours or so before he came to, and by that point, his skin had returned to normal color, and he was able to speak to us. Between the officer and I, we had a lot of questions to ask, but I was going to get to his admission history first, and then the officer could question him. The officer left the room because the patient said he felt more comfortable giving me his info without him standing there. By the time he started his story, I figured it must, it must be a psych problem. Had to be, because its drug results came back negative. I would later come to realize just how wrong I was. This is how his story went. He had been visited by one of his usuals a couple weeks ago, who seemed a little off. Well, more off than usual for a junkie, I guess. The guy came to him tweaking and twitching, talking crazy. Or at least that's what he thought at the time. When my patient asked his customer what was wrong or what the heck he was on, the guy just started making a clicking noise with his mouth. You know, the sound you make when you put your tongue to the roof of your mouth and then flick it so it hits the bottom of your mouth? Anyway, he told the guy to get the hell off his property or he would shoot him, and apparently the guy just walked off. He walked down the street as calmly as, as could be, and according to my patient, walked right out into oncoming traffic and was mowed over by a bus. For this next part, I'll try to quote my patient. He then told me about how he started to see things afterward, things that made him genuinely terrified. I thought it was the weed, man, he said with fear in his eyes, so I quit smoking it, but it didn't stop there. I was laying in my bed one night and I just felt, I don't know, like I was being watched. In the profession I'm in, you either keep a gun under your pillow or you get caught off guard by some druggie looking to make a quick steal from your stash. So I grabbed my gun from my pillow and sat up, looking around at the two windows in my room to see if I could spot a peeper. It just got tenser by the second and I couldn't hear a single noise from outside. That's when I started to hear it. Hear what? I said, still charting on my computer. His voice got lower, almost to a whisper when he said, the clicking. This gave me a chill down my spine for some reason as I asked, trying to look calm. Uh, what clicking? All I could hear was a low click and then got louder and louder by the second, always coming from a different spot in my room. I was frozen, man. I didn't know what I was hearing, but he said as he paused slightly. It almost sounded like the clicking from that crazy moron that came to my house. As he finished his sentence, a few beads of sweat started to form on his face and his hands began to shake. The heart rate of the monitor started to creep up slowly and then jump from 94 to 180, but he kept on with his story, getting louder and more frantic with every new detail. That's when I saw it, up in the corner of my room. It was clinging to the wall with its knees to its chest and its feet touching the walls. Its left arm was by its side, gripped tightly to the corner, and its right hand was, uh, an hourglass. The sand in the top half was empty, and the clicking continued. Click, 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 he said as he finished with that same clicking noise from his own mouth. That was nothing compared to his face. When I looked into his face, 
All I could see was an unnaturally large, toothy grin. At this point, he started to yell. He was just smiling at me, just smiling away, like he wanted to rip out my throat and watch me die. But that wasn't the worst of it. Oh, no. It was his eyes, man. His evil, soulless eyes. They just stared right through me. And that horrible clicking noise was coming from his mouth. But it wasn't moving. I've seen him every night for the past week and a half, and all he does is smile and stare. And every time I see him, the sand just keeps getting smaller and smaller, like my time is running out. I wasn't going to let him win, though, he said as he started to laugh maniacally. By this point, I had no clue why nobody had heard him yelling and came in to help me, but he continued. I wasn't going to die to a thing like that. I didn't want to find out what happened when the hourglass ran out. I tried the gun, but it jammed, so I used my pocket knife. He lowered his voice down to a whisper again as he looked up to the corner of the room behind me. What he said sent me into a state of shock and couldn't turn around. He's here again. The sand is almost gone. Click, 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 he said as he made his tongue click. Looks like he's got an hourglass for you too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. So, okay. That ending twist, though. I knew the dude would be holding the hourglass and it'd be running out of time, but him holding a second hourglass? It's a good ending. Yeah. Man, that was good. Yeah, these are some really good stories. Guys, you gotta check it out. Yeah. I am so intrigued by this. I've got to read more. Okay. Next story is called The Peekaboo. I like the name. So when you think of mirror monsters, what comes to mind? Most people think of Bloody Mary or something similar. I'm not sure if Bloody Mary is or was ever real, but I found something that is. If something like that was so real and dangerous, then how come people can say it and nothing happened? Maybe it's selective or maybe it's altogether random. Either way, mirror monsters do exist, and some may not look like you'd imagine. Some are reflections of our true selves, while others are completely different nightmares. The urban legend I'm about to tell you is not a very popular one. Hell, you may have never heard or seen of it at all, and there are no Google references to it that I have found, but believe me when I tell you it does exist. My friends and I were all going to have a party at my house and drinking, as well as a bunch of other dumb things were planned. To get a better picture, Tyler is the, uh, was the youngest, and he was 24. Mira was the oldest at 28, so our group was still young and dumb. It isn't like we had a bunch of drugs and stuff planned. Hell, the only adult thing we had planned was drinks. We were going to play beer pong, do some karaoke, play some sort of moving game on my old Wii, and then... Apparently, Tyler had something special planned for us at the end of the night, but he wouldn't say what it was. We all went about our normal days and then met, about, met up at our local liquor store to pick our preferred poisons. All in all, we probably spent just over $200. To some of that may be expensive for liquor, but for all the stuff we bought for five people, it was pretty good. Tyler liked Jack Daniels, Piper and Mira liked vodka, as well as tequila. Liam preferred anything fruit-flavored. And last but not least, 
I preferred Jaeger bombs for events like this. I usually went with a casual drink like Smirnoff or Angry Orchard or something, but I wanted to have that adrenaline rush from the Red Bull so I could get out of my comfort zone and have some fun. Our night went exactly as you'd expect. The beer pong was an uncoordinated mess, the karaoke was cheesy, and our voices were terrible, all except Mira, who actually sounded pretty good. And I almost broke my leg trying to show off in Dance Dance Revolution. It was good fun, and we all had a blast. It was about 11.30pm, and it was finally time for Tyler's special surprise. He had us all sit at a table in my dining room and dim the lights. Piper and Liam weren't much for anything scary, so they tensed up when the lights were dimmed and some candles were lit. As for Mira and me, we were sort of neutral on the subject, so we both gave each other looks that said, oh boy, here we go again. Tyler, he was the horror freak in the group and always loved to make us try ridiculous games or listen to scary stories. Sometimes they were actually pretty good but other times it got boring or it wasn't even remotely terrifying. After we all sat down, Tyler went out to his car to grab something. He came back in with something long in his hand that was hidden under a piece of cloth. He set it on the table and we heard what sounded like metal being set on wood. After making our guesses at what the object was, we were all proven wrong. When he pulled the cloth off, we saw now that it was a mirror. It was a it was a vanity mirror about two feet tall and had a metal engraved base and stand with a swiveling mirror in the center. Immediately, Piper was refusing whatever this was about to be. She hated mirrors and was about to leave the room, but Mira sweet-talked her into staying and told her it would be fine and that she would protect her. Being half drunk helped in the reasoning of Piper's mind and she decided that Mira was right. Tyler, still standing, rotated the mirror to let us, all of us, have a look at it, and then proceeded to tell us of a game he wanted us to play. He explained that it wouldn't last long and that it was as harmless as any of other of those mirror games. It was called the Peekaboo Game. At the sound of hearing the ridiculous name of this game, we all sort of chuckled and made jokes about it. I mean, at least they could have used a cool name, right? Like Bloody Mary or the Candyman. But the peekaboo? This might scare a toddler, but not me, I thought, as he was explaining the game. Even Piper seemed fine to try this one out. So this is how you play the peekaboo game. The first thing you must do is create the atmosphere by turning off all the lights and only using candles. Check. The next thing was to have a really clean and decent sized mirror. Check. And lastly, to summon the peekaboo. A person must play literal peekaboo with themselves in the mirror a total of three times. Apparently, after these steps, something called the peekaboo is supposed to show itself or visit you. Sounded simple enough, and not scary at all. When we asked where the hell he received the mirror, Tyler told us just some random merchant in town. That's all the details he gave us before he demonstrated first on how the game was supposed to be played. The room was all black except for the flickering candlelight. Tyler pointed the mirror directly toward himself and then proceeded to cover his face with his hands. Swinging both of his hands off his face quickly and widening his eyes, he showed his face again to the mirror and said, Peekaboo! At the sight of this, we all laughed and threw jokes at him, but he kept a focused face. 
Twice more, he had done this, and on his last time, he shushed us and we all got silent. I nudged Mira's leg under the table to get her to look at me, and when she did, I lit the phrase, watch this, and winked. To this, she gave a slight smirk and looked back at Tyler. She knew exactly what I was going to do, but it still made her jump anyway. Ah! I yelled as loud as I could toward Tyler, and everybody jumped out of their silence and probably pissed their pants as well. Tyler took this stuff a little bit more seriously than we did, so when I did this, he was the most scared of all. He became so upset at me that he started to pack up his things in a fit and threatened to drive home since we weren't taking him seriously. I could see tears of fear streaming down his face, but also hurtful ones at the same time. I felt so bad that the others and I calmed him down, and we participated in this little game of his. We all performed the ritual while trying to look serious. Liam and I accidentally let out a couple small chuckles and a slight smirk, but other than that, it went well. When I had my turn, I admit there was a bit of eeriness to it, but otherwise it was quite boring. When I was looking into the mirror, however, I spotted a crack in it that hadn't been there before. It must have happened when I knocked it over during my jump scare performance. Nothing eventful happened that night or for the next three nights. It was on the fourth night after the ritual that we started to hear strange stories from Tyler. Apparently, he said that there was something walking around in his house at night. We assumed it was him being paranoid and his obsession with the horror genre in general, but pretended to investigate and care. I know that sounds like we were being bad friends, but trust me when I say Tyler could be very persistent and annoying when he wanted to. I even stayed a night at his house just to prove him wrong. I never heard anything that night except for maybe an animal or two outside. Three days later, Tyler died. His parents kept all the details away from the press, so we never knew the cause and there was no open casket funeral, so we never had a chance to see him afterward. We were so heartbroken and didn't know what to think. Piper, who was the most scared one in the group, started having nightmares. Liam, who we all knew had feelings for her, decided to stay with her and keep her company for about a week or so. We thought it would get better, but it only got worse. Mira was the one who found them. She called me, crying and in tears, screaming in my ear that they had been murdered. Their bodies were torn to shreds by something. I tried to calm her down and told her to stay exactly where she was while I made my way to her and called the police. When I arrived, they had gotten to her before I did, and there was an ambulance there with Mira sitting on the back covered in a blanket. Red and blue lights flooded the trees and multiple officers, a few paramedics, and the coroner were all there at the scene. I immediately went to comfort her, and she told me what she saw. It took a while, but I got every detail from her. It looked like a giant animal tore them apart and ate portions of their bodies. Their faces, however, were gone. Nothing but blood and bone. The police closed the case and said a wild animal, animal was to blame, even though there were no signs of forced entry or any animal tracks whatsoever. Finally, it came down to Mira and me. A couple of weeks went by without anything significant happening, and we decided that we would stay with each other. But, but that we would have to go back to work, mainly because we were running low on money and the bills were piling up as well as running low on groceries. That was our worst mistake. It was emotions that got the better of Mira. She was found with a bullet in her head 
at the grocery store she works in. At this point, I didn't know if this messed up string of deaths were all just coincidental or if another force was at play here. So I went to investigate myself. I started with the most recent death, Mira. I pretended to be a shopper in the store and made my way towards the bathroom. The employees used the public ones because there were no employee bathrooms in the back, which is kind of weird, but the store was a small locally owned one, so I guess it saved space. The entire section was taped off and deserted. My guess is they must have put some porta potty somewhere for the employees. I waited until nobody was around and snuck in. What I found was surprising and horrifying. There were still blood splatters on the sinks, walls, ceiling, and floor. I could see where her cold, lifeless body must have been lying after she shot herself. What I found surprising, however, is that there were multiple bullet holes in the wall. The reports only said she fired one bullet, and the holes I saw were in a completely different spot from where they would have been had they exited her. Also, the entire mirror above the line of sinks was totally shattered. After sneaking back out, I made my way over to Piper's small house, which was out in a wooded area on the edge of town. I checked the outside for her of her house for any kind of animal track or clue I could find. On a nearby tree, I found some type of gray-colored sludge that was covering a few claw marks upon the trunk of the tree. Finally, I went to the house of Tyler's parents. Because I had been a longtime friend of Tyler's, they invited me in to sit for a while when I told them I needed closure and wanted to talk. His dad had to go to work shortly after my arrival, and his mother tried to cook me something to eat. While I was left alone, I snuck up to his room and tried to search for clues. Tyler's family never hurt for any money, so he just stayed with them. I couldn't find anything of use upon first checking his room, but then I noticed something glinting off the floor near the window. It was a piece of glass, particularly a piece of that horrible mirror he had brought to my house. I could see his backyard from one of his windows and saw what looked to be the broken mirror at its base and stand. After heading back downstairs and out the door before his mom could come, in, come to talk to me, I went around back to their trash bins and got the mirror out. I took it out to my car to look at it. It looked the same as it had the last time I saw it, except now the face of the mirror had been completely shattered. I went back to my house that afternoon and pondered on all the events. My brain had the right answer for what was happening, but my body wouldn't believe a word I said. Later that night, I heard feet walking across the hardwood floor. If it had not been for all the previous incidents, I might have thought it was a raccoon or something that somehow got into my house, but something in me knew better. Over the next few days, I started to experience more and more weird events. Sounds of walking, tapping of windows, glances of a dark figure out of the corner of my eye. It was playing with me, like a cat with a mouse. I became, I became paranoid and quit my job. I stopped leaving the house and I'm on guard all, at all times. I'm terrified. Last night, I saw it just outside my window. I only glanced at its features for maybe five seconds before I ran to my bed and put my hands over my face, hoping it would disappear. It is a gangly creature with very long and very skinny limbs. Its feet are large with long pointed toes and its hands are frail looking with long sharp fingers. Its body looked emaciated and its bones were almost popping out of the skin. It sat out in the yard beside my house and was squatting to the ground with its knees coming up past its head 
and had its hands covering its face. That was the only part I never got a glance at. I know I'm going to die, which is why I'm telling my story. I want people to know about this. I want to warn those who discover it and think it sounds like a fun idea to not go through with it. I don't know how Tyler even found out about the ritual or if he just somehow made it up and we got unlucky. I don't want to know what's behind the peekaboo's hands. I don't want to see what's behind those long, sharp claws, but I know I will soon. I heard its footsteps approaching as I wrote this. I can hear its bones creaking above me now. I don't want to look up. Whatever you do, do not play peekaboo. Ooh, that was good. <laughs> peekaboo, I see you. That reminds me of the movie Smile a little bit. Have you seen that one? I have not, but um, I know the premise. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that was way good. Okay. Well, hopefully you guys are spooked and ready for Tessa's story today. And before I get started on that, just want to say thanks again for sending in those amazing scary stories. You're a fantastic author, and I cannot wait to read more of your work. Mm-hmm. Once again, you guys can download the book on um, on Amazon for your Kindle, and I will put the link in the description. All righty. So if you've been listening to the news lately... You might have heard something a couple weeks ago about a whistleblower's claims that U.S. intelligence officials possess partially and wholly intact non-human-made aircraft. United States Air Force officer and former intelligence officer David Grosh claims that the U.S. federal government operates a secretive UFO retrieval program where in the past they have retrieved crashed non-human objects that, yes, encapsulate, quote, dead pilots. He provided Congress with hours of recorded classified information and hundreds of pages of transcripts. He claims that the main goal of such a program is to reverse engineer the spacecraft and win the race against other countries and otherworldly technological advancements. In a very recent interview with News Nation, when asked if any corpses had been retrieved from crash sites, Grosch said, When you recover something that's either landed or crashed, sometimes you encounter dead pilots. Believe it or not, as fantastical as that sounds, it's true. And as it stands, Grosch's claims are an ongoing investigation, and the House of Representatives recently announced that they're going to have the House Oversight Committee look into his claims. Whoa. So this just happened at the beginning of June. The New York Times covered this. He's been in numerous interviews. And so far, I mean, of course, you've got some government officials and like people like NASA being like, ah, it's not true. There's no evidence of this. But for him to go in front of Congress with his like his actual name and be like, I'm telling you, this is true. I saw it with my own eyes. Here's the evidence. And for them to say, "Okay, we're going to investigate this. That's insane. This is wild. How did I not hear this? Yes. So, this news story got me thinking about a fun little place we have here in Utah called UFO Alley. This area has it all. Cattle mutilations, ginormous beasts, skinwalkers, and most of all, it's a hot spot for UFO activity. That's right, y'all. I'm taking you on a tour to Skinwalker Ranch. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> Located in Uinta County, which is in 
eastern Utah, sits 512 acres of land called the Sherman Ranch. The land was originally inhabited by the Ute tribe, and by 1934, it was owned by Kenneth and Edith Myers, who kept the property until 1994, when it was then owned by Terry and Gwen Sherman. That being said, it wasn't until June 1996 that the legends of Skinwalker Ranch were brought to light by an article published in the Desert News, which was, funnily enough, called Frequent Flyers. The article details claims by the Shermans, Terry in particular, about beasts on the land and orbs of fast-moving lights in the night sky. Soon after settling into their new ranch, the Shermans claimed to have been rocked by a terrifying encounter that would set off a chain of paranormal events all over the area. One night in their new home, Terry heard some odd noises coming from outside. He grabbed his gun and went to investigate. He watched in horror as a large, wolf-like beast stealthily approached the area where he kept the livestock. He grabbed his rifle and shot at the beast, but it didn't seem to injure the animal, who sunk back into the shadows of the surrounding wilderness, almost mocking the man's feeble attempt to protect the property. It's believed by enthusiasts that this creature was none other than a skinwalker. Now, if you're not familiar with what this is, it's a very feared part of Navajo folklore. Navajo witches are viewed as the antithesis of their own culture, which embodies community. Healers within their communities are regarded highly and have a positive presence. Witches, on the other hand, only exist to cause harm. Not much is known about skinwalkers, as Navajo people are reluctant to discuss their existence or lore with non-natives, which I can totally get behind because they don't want their culture or sacred symbolism being used in mass media storytelling, ruining the context or embodiment of the purpose of such original tales. To put this into perspective, think of Thor or Loki or even Odin being used by the Marvel Universe to capitalize on traditional Nordic beliefs. Now when you think of Thor, you might think of some superhero comic dude with long blonde hair, but in reality he was held as an extremely prominent god in Germanic pa paganism. They revered him as the protector of humanity, fertility, and all things sacred, and he was the reason for thunder, lightning, and storms. That's why I imagine many Navajo people are reluctant to allow some of their traditions and belief systems to be used in a blasphemous way, such as the marvelization of Thor. Anyways, back to what we can piece together about skinwalkers. From what little we know, a skinwalker is a Navajo witch with evil, vengeful intentions. It's not really a myth, but rather a highly held part of their belief system. According to some stories, skinwalkers were once well-meaning medicine men or women who had a taste of evil and having attained the highest form of power, decided to pursue that power even more and use it for bad reasons. A skinwalker becomes one after doing something heinous like breaking cultural taboo, cannibalism, or killing a family member or loved one during an initiation rite. This gives them the ability to transform into whatever animal they wish to wear the skin of for their own gain, hence the name Skinwalker. Those who claim to have seen Skinwalkers share similar versions of the same story. Usually it starts with an encounter with a strange animal. Like the animals recognizable, such as a bear or wolf or a deer, but then very quickly it becomes apparent that something is just off about the animal. For example, some report seeing a deer on hind legs walking in the forest. Others have seen large dogs that keep up with the pace of a fast-moving car, 
following it as it goes home. Others report smelling putrid, rotting flesh and seeing animals that have the eyes of a human. On the flip side, when the skinwalker is in their human form, they will have animalistic eyes, and it's believed that's how you can tell if that person is an evil witch. Now, you might be wondering, why is it called Skinwalker Ranch if the land was originally inhabited by the Utes, not the Navajo? There's a legend in the area of a feud between the two peoples, and there was a territorial dispute over that land. The legend goes that the Navajo cursed the land with the affliction of the Skinwalker. Now back to the article I mentioned earlier about the frequent flyers in the sky above Skinwalker Ranch. Terry Sherman claims that the UFO activity ranges from box-like floating shapes in the sky to long objects the length of football fields hovering in place. They've even found large circles imprinted on the ground, just like crop circles, but in the desert. By the time the article was published, the Shermans had seven cows go missing, some of which turned up mutilated to perfection. And I say that because the incisions on the cows were made with precision, organs removed and all, without any traces of predator behavior like bite or claw marks. They've seen large lights descend from the sky and emit powerful rays. Their dogs have gone missing in the blink of an eye after following a low-flying blue light far into the wilderness. Things seem amiss at the ranch, to say the least. And in 2020, Utah real estate tycoon Brandon Fugel announced that he now owns Skinwalker Ranch. Upon his arrival to the property, Brandon explained, quote, These body parts were hanging from the fence line, animal bladders that were blessed and hung for the purpose of keeping the demonic spirit entities on the property. Brandon and his team actively investigate the area for anything paranormal, inviting those who believe, or want to believe, to experience the strangeness for themselves. Imagine taking a tour of this place. Uh, it's probably something like, And if you look to your left, this is where the first cattle mutilation occurred. And to your right is where the skinwalker attacked the owner and stole his soul for himself. And straight ahead, you'll see the scenic red rocks. The question still stands. Are the claims of Skinwalker Ranch authentic, and is the land really plagued by supernatural beings? Or is Skinwalker Ranch simply in the business of selling belief and hope, as famous UFOlogist Barry Greenwood says? The 500 acres of land that lie in eastern Utah certainly harbor secrecy and numerous unsolved mysteries. Regardless of the truthfulness behind these claims, one thing remains sure. Humans have always and will always be fascinated with the unexplainable. Even though numerous people have come forward to debunk the claims made by Skinwalker Ranch and its owners, I think I speak for everyone when I say that there's a little piece in all of us that entertains this phenomenal idea. It's true. I, I think aliens are real. Oh, they're definitely real. There was a TikTok I saw of this guy who used to work for the CIA and he was kind of spilling some of his secrets from back in the day. And the question was, was asked, are there aliens? And he said, there are no aliens. The UFOs you're seeing are people time traveling. I thought, oh, interesting. But no, he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want to go into alternate dimension theories, which are quite plausible mm -hmm. if you look at it from a physics standpoint the multiverse <laughs> kind of yeah yeah. But yeah very interesting 
a Skinwalker Ranch is definitely a place I would love to visit and uh, see for myself. The man you mentioned who bought the property, who owns it now. Brandon Fugel. Yeah. I think there's a show about it. There is. Okay. Yes. Um, History Channel has their own show right now. Cool. Um, I think he might have been featured on some others, which, you know, it adds to that skeptical factor of did he buy it because he saw a television opportunity, which most certainly was the case. But regardless, I still think it's fascinating. Same. Who cares if he bought it for whatever? We get an inside look now. I'll take a tour. Yeah. I'll go. Exactly. Okay. Well, uh, do you have anything else for us today? That's it for me. All right, guys. We will carry in the next one. Stay spooky. Bye.